try to imagine that you're in charge of training at a bicycle factory. Yeah, it's your new job, your new position. So several new employees have just come on board, right? And they're needing to learn how to put wheels on a children's bicycle. And it's your job to make sure they have the necessary knowledge, the necessary skills to do just that. Now, to make sure each person is competent on his own, on her own, each worker is placed in their own workroom with the parts and tools that they need. They've got written instructions there. They've got visual guides and they have a training video designed to help them complete the task. So after an hour of uh, you play, played the comprehensive training video, you've done that. So after this time, you begin to go back and visit each workroom to see how these trainees are coming along there at the bicycle factory. To your surprise, no one has completed the project. No one. Frustrated, you ask yourself, was there a technical issue with the video? Was something broken? <laughs> were, were the written instructions or the visual guides missing from the room? They just accidentally didn't get put there. Was there a problem with the parts provided? Maybe with the tools? But upon investigation, everything is fine. You're left scratching your head. But as you talk with the trainees, you quickly realize the problem. The issue is not that these new hires cannot complete the task. The issue is that they will not complete the task. Instead of presenting bikes with wheels at the bicycle factory, each worker presents only excuses. One after the other. Excuses for his or her lack of work. This issue seems to be the same issue that Moses is addressing here in our main passage this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 11 through 14. Turn there if you haven't done so already. Turn over to Deuteronomy 30 verses 11 through 14. I will have a number of related texts on the screens that you see in front of you. I will not put the main text on there. It's not up there. So you're going to need to have your Bible open. Get your nose in there and look at that text and follow along. It's a great, it's great training for us every Sunday, right? To get our Bibles open and be navigating there and learning how to work through the text. So take a look there, Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. As he, Moses, is wrapping up his review of God's gracious work, among these listeners, these Hebrew listeners, beginning his work, beginning with their deliverance from Egypt, as we heard about, as we read in the book of Exodus, as he concludes this presentation of God's law here in Deuteronomy, as he finishes describing both the blessings and the curses that will result from either their obedience or disobedience, Moses seems at this point interested in heading off or maybe squelching a certain kind of reasoning, maybe a certain kind of excuse making that may arise with some of these Israelites. Listen to chapter 30 of verses 11 through 14. 
For this commandment that I command you today. When he says singular commandment, he's really talking about the whole, right? This law, this law that I'm giving you today, that I've delivered to you today, is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. To make sense of this passage, brothers and sisters, friends, let's talk together about what we find here. Let's dig in a little bit more. What do we find here? Specifically, I see two excuses and one encouragement. Two excuses and one encouragement. The first potential excuse Moses wants to tackle is right there at the beginning of verse 11. Did you hear it? Some might hear the explanation of God's law, that is the book of Deuteronomy, and some might say, this is all way too hard. No, 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 all way too hard. I could never keep this. We could never keep this. What's interesting about that sentiment that Moses is addressing is that some Christians would echo this excuse about the law. These fellow believers would point us back to a verse like Romans 8, 7. Take a look here on the screen. Romans 8, 7, where we read, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Oh, it cannot submit to God's law. These followers of Christ would argue, based on a passage like this and maybe others, that when it comes to the Old Testament law, it was impossible for the Hebrews to keep that covenant. They would contradict Moses and they would say, yes, it was too hard for them to keep that law. But that conclusion, if you reason that way, that conclusion, I believe, is a misunderstanding of that Bicycle factory difference between can't and won't. Can't and won't. You see, can't removes the reality of moral culpability. Can't removes the reality of moral culpability. It would be like firing a wheelchair-bound police officer for not participating in a foot chase to catch a criminal. You're out of here can't is a command like honor your father and mother too hard to obey chapter 5 verse 16 of deuteronomy no if real choices are made when a person dishonors his father or mother then no it is not too hard to obey the question the real question is Will we obey? Will we obey? And will we obey consistently? Will we obey comprehensively? Will we obey purely? Will we obey to the glory of God, the God who gave us these commandments? The answer is no, we will not. 
The answer is no. The cannot of Romans chapter 8 verse 7 that you see there is based on an assessment of what sinners always do rather than what sinners are able to do. So our nature as sinners and our guilt as sinners is based on our sinful choices. Our sinful choices. You may know that we've been in a cultural moment for many decades now where the idea of victimhood is much bigger, a much bigger part of our moral reasoning. In some cases, this is good and this is right. Voices that need to be heard and wrongs that need to be addressed are being given finally the attention that they deserve. But as human beings do in every area, the concept of victimhood is also being abused. Being abused by those who are looking to shirk their responsibility. Those who are seeking not justice, but maybe attention or affirmation. Friends, though we can be and often are, we are not ultimately victims of sin. We are victimizers in sin. That's what God's word teaches. We are victimizers in sin. Sinful victimizers. So as Moses affirms here in verse 11, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. He removes the excuse before it's even raised. But that leads to a second excuse. Do you see it there? It's there at the end of verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. Far off. Now, what exactly does that mean, far off? Well, the next two verses unpack that phrase, far off. It is not far off in heaven that you should say, well, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it far off beyond the sea that you should say, well, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. So there's a second excuse. The second excuse is not, I can't do it because it's too hard, but rather I can't do it because something's missing. I don't have something that I need. This excuse is about a lack of information, not a lack of ability. Some of these Israelites may have been thinking to themselves, how can we obey all of these laws if we don't ha- if we don't know all the answers to this or all the answers to that or that other thing? We need more revelation from above. We need more learning from abroad. Bring it to us now, Moses, and we will obey. Moses actually anticipated this kind of thinking. The very end of the last chapter. Look at the last verse of chapter 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Moses declares, The secret things belong to Yahweh our God. The unrevealed. The mysteries. They belong to Yahweh our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Why? To what end? that we may do all the words of this law. See that distinction? See that difference there? For some, what was not revealed could become an excuse 
to ignore what had been revealed. Well, all that's nice and good, Moses, but what about this? Ever met someone like that? Oh, that's fine. Yeah, really interesting. But what about this, this, and this? They just dismiss it because of all these things that are not revealed, dismissing what is revealed in light of what is not revealed. But all of this leads us to this one encouragement that I mentioned earlier, and it's such a beautiful encouragement. Look, look back with me to verse 14. After anticipating some of these excuses, Moses encourages the people by reminding them, but the word, verse 14, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Moses is telling them here, right? This is directly speaking to that excuse. It's far off. It's far off. I'm missing something. Moses, no, 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 no. It's not far off. It's very near you. It's very near you. What exactly does that mean, very near you? Well, notice that next phrase. It is in your mouth and in your heart. Okay, that's helping us a little bit more. But what does that mean? I think Moses is bringing them back to the importance of revealed knowledge Knowledge to confess and real faith. What takes place in the hearts. That is what they know and what they believe. He's bringing them back to what they know and what they believe. And these things have to be kept together. We know that because a simple confession is not enough. Mouthing words is not enough. It has to be confession inspired by genuine faith. Doesn't it? But if you actually believe the truth, and you say, I believe the truth, and you try to convince someone you believe the truth, but you never publicly acknowledge that truth in any way and don't live any differently in light of it, we begin to doubt <laughs> that it's some suspicion about what's in your heart, isn't there? That belief, truly believing the truth, will result in public acknowledgement of the truth. We call that confession. Confessing that truth. All of this is important because here's a fun fact for you. The word heart in Hebrew is found in Deuteronomy more than any other book in the Old Testament. By quite a bit. This book is all about the heart. It reminds us that frequency of the word heart reminds us that Moses, that God through Moses has been ministering in this book to the hearts of the people. He's not just slapping down laws and saying, obey, 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 do, 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 obey. He's ministering to their hearts. He's speaking to their hearts. And that ministry to the heart regularly connected the commandment and the heart, right? Put the two together. Regularly did this. When Moses declared God's word, he called his hearers in chapter 4, verse 39 to lay it to your hearts. Chapter 11, verse 18, he said, lay up these words of mine in your hearts. Chapter 32, verse 46, take to heart all these words. Moses said clearly in 6, 6, take a look here. And these words that I command you today shall be where? On your hearts. On your hearts. It's important to remember that unlike their parents, 
This second generation of emancipated Hebrews had already been confessing, had already been believing God's word. As Moses told them in chapter 8, verse 2, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord, that Yahweh, your God, has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Why was he doing that? Yes, to execute his judgment that all of that earlier generation would die off in the desert. They wandered until the last one dropped dead. But that second generation, why was he doing that? That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your hearts. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. You see, whatever excuses some of them might make now, all of them knew the nearness, or we could say the knownness, the knownness of this word, the word of God. But the word is very near you so that you can do it. Here's the question I'd like to put to you. To put to us. Here's the question. Is the word of God very near to you? Think about that for a minute. Is the word of God, the living God who made you, who made all things, Is his word very near to you? For most of you, the answer is absolutely yes. God's word makes it clear to us that every person has some light. Right? Every person has some light. By light, I mean knowledge about God. Right? So the the old classic question, kind of a missiological question, is what if they've never heard Well, the scripture answers that clearly. All have heard. Because day by day, the heavens pour forth speech. Psalm 19. Skies. Creation declares who God is. Every single human being who has ever lived has heard. They've received some light. And in the end, according to Romans chapter 1, all will be judged based on that light. Because to a man and to a woman, every single human being has suppressed that light, has pushed it down, has rejected it, has twisted it, has distorted it. Not cannot, will not. Not cannot, will not. That's true of all of us. Every human being. So we know that's the case. But I'd like to focus on those of us who do know God's revealed word to to whatever degree you know the Scriptures. In fact, even if this morning was the first time you ever heard the word of God, that word powerfully, powerfully preserved in the pages of the Bible, then you do have some knowledge. If you're, even if you're just here for the first time today, you do have some knowledge. But most of us here in this room have more than, more than just some knowledge, don't we? You have more than just some knowledge. Many of you have a lot of knowledge, quite a bit. Many of you have years of knowledge of the word. In Moses' language, that would be, the word is very near you. It's not far off. It's very near you. Most of us are not only aware of the word, we also understand it, we comprehend it, and most of us believe it. Indeed, the word is very near to us. 
Let's just establish that and accept, acknowledge that together. The word is very near to us. Why is this significant? Why is that point significant? Let me suggest two reasons based on God's word. First of all, take a look. It's significant because an increase of knowledge leads to an increase in terms of accountability. The more you know, the more you will be accountable for before God. Right? Doesn't Jesus teach that? The slave who did not know his master's will will receive fewer lashes. I think it's Luke 12, maybe. Something like that, Luke 14. Uh, But the one who did know his master's will and failed to do it, he will receive a harsher punishment. That That basis of knowledge is important. You know how the Bible says that God will judge every person according to what he or she has done. We also know that paired with that in Scripture is what we know, not just what we've done. So what we've, what we've done with what we know is going to be part of the criteria for judgment in the end. What we know. So we will be, this does lead to an increase in terms of accountability. And that fact should get our attention, brothers and sisters. But second, it's also significant, this idea of the word being very near to us. It's significant because wonderfully, it also means an increase of knowledge leads to an increase of hope. If you know the word, then you know that there is hope dispensed in the word. There is hope declared in the word. There is hope offered to us in the word. I hope that you know that. (laughs) That fact should also get our attention. Let's do this. Let's ask for some help with understanding these concepts and how they apply to us as a new covenant people in Jesus. Let's ask the Apostle Paul. He seems like a great helper with this. Very knowledgeable, used powerfully by God. So look over to Romans chapter 10, and Paul is going to help us with this exact issue. Romans chapter 10. Now, in chapters 9 through 11 of the book of Romans, this letter that Paul has written to the church in Rome. He's talking mainly with Jewish Christian readers here about fellow Jews who had not yet acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. That was a sticky point. That They were really struggling with that. Right? His readers would say, we've accepted Christ as the Jewish Messiah. Paul, of course, had accepted Christ as Lord. But there were so many Jews, the vast majority of Jews had not. And that was a struggle for many Jews as to why they did not receive Christ in that way. And Paul is trying to work through this idea with them in chapters 9 through 11. Notice what Paul writes in chapter 10, verse 5. He says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So there's a kind of righteousness that's based on the Old Testament law. It's simple. Right? It's very simple. You do all the commandments and you live because of them. That statement does sound helpful at first. It sounds like a clear guide to what we should do. But Paul has already made it clear in this book, in this letter of Romans, he's already made it clear just how damning that truth really is. Absolutely damning. He revealed this in chapter 7, verse 10. Take a look. The very commandment that promised life Prove to be death to me, says Paul. Hmm. You see, the increase in terms of accountability 
that comes with an increasing knowledge of the word, the word being very near to us, only leads in the end to condemnation for us. Why is that? Because we will not obey the commandments of God. Not cannot, will not obey the commandments of God. That's why. We won't obey them in the way that they should be obeyed. We will not obey them when when they should be obeyed, which is all the time. We will not obey them to the degree that they should be obeyed. And we will not obey them for the ultimate reason that they should be obeyed to the glory of God alone. We simply won't. As Paul has made clear in this section of the letter, this is what condemns every Jew who knows and relies on the law for their standing before God. But as I mentioned before, there's also a wonderful reality that comes with the word being very near to you. And Paul goes on to explain this wonderful reality in the next few verses, verses 6 through 10 of Romans 10. After exposing the righteousness that is based on the law in verse 5, Paul writes in verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is the bottomless depths. right? Who's going to descend into the bottomless depths? That is, reader, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it, the righteousness based on faith, say? The word is near you. In your mouth. And in your heart. That is the word of faith. That we proclaim, writes Paul. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, here's the reverse, mouth, heart, now heart, back to mouth. With the heart, one believes and is justified, declared righteous before God, acquitted Before the high court of heaven, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Wow! There it is, Deuteronomy chapter 30. It snuck up on us here in Romans chapter 10. What is Paul doing here with the words of Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14? Well, what he's doing is using them exactly as Moses used them. He is confronting the excuse-making of certain Israelites and he is pointing them back to one beautiful encouragement. That's what Moses was doing. Confronting, excuse-making, and pointing them back to one encouragement. Paul is doing the same thing in light of the fullness of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there is no missing knowledge. I hope you believe that. I hope you know that. There is no missing knowledge. We do not need more revelation from above. We don't need more learning from abroad. Jesus has already ascended into heaven. Jesus has already been raised from the dead. What is true of the Jews of Paul's day is just as true for us. 
we don't need something else to be accomplished by God. What we need is to truly believe and cling to what has already been accomplished. Gloriously, the knowledge and faith to which Moses was pointing us in Deuteronomy 30 has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The one who fulfilled the law for us. Our perfect commandment keeper, Jesus. And because Jesus went on to take the condemnation of our commandment breaking... He took that condemnation on the cross, that very near word that once held us accountable and condemned us can also now be that very near word that gives us life, eternal life in Christ and with Christ forever. Do you see that? What has God made known to you? Think of that for a minute. What has God made known to you? How much knowledge has He given to you? How much has He revealed to you? Equally important, what are you doing with what God has made known to you? What are you doing with it? We are still excuse makers, aren't we? We are still excuse makers. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has given us a new heart. Jesus has given us His Spirit. Jesus is present with us in every way. And yet we say, no, this is too hard. Nope, too hard. Not interested, too hard. Or Jesus calls us. He calls to us as his disciples. And he he says to us, stop. Or maybe go. He says, speak. He says, be silent. He says, give. And give, and give, and keep giving. But we say, but I need to know how this is going to go, Lord. I need to know how this is this is going to end up. I, I need to know what this is going to cost me. I need to know how this situation will turn out. I need to know if I'm going to be hurt. I know. I need to know if I'm going to come out on top. Just, just tell me, Lord, why these things have to be the way that they are. Tell me why this is going this direction. Give me more information. Somehow what has not been revealed to us becomes an excuse to ignore what has been revealed. You see, we're still excuse makers. And that should convict us. It should sober us. But Pastor, you're not, wait, wait a minute. You're not preaching about grace anymore. Oh, oh, I'm preaching about grace. 
But we need to know and be reminded of why we so desperately need that grace every day. Why we should celebrate that grace every day. Because we know that if we do not do that, we will turn grace into a license to sin. We will make grace the kind of key buzzword that if I say it, you think I'm okay spiritually. We will make grace into a reason not to repent when God is trying to get our attention, but we're making excuses. And then we bathe ourselves in grace, supposedly, and we make no change even though the Lord is convicting us through His Spirit and calling us to obey based on all of the knowledge that we have, and we're sitting doing nothing with it. And even when we're struggling with that knowledge, can we at least admit we're struggling with it? And say, I can't do what I want to do now with that knowledge. But darn it, I can ask for help from someone to to give me a supporting hand. To give me godly counsel. To walk alongside of me in this time. I can do that. I can. By God's grace, I can do that. You see, we make excuses, don't we? Grace is not our, I get out of conviction in order to go to that's leading to repentance it's not our get out of get out of that free card right we don't use that to say well it's okay jesus paid it all he did it for me it's all about him we have to be very careful brothers and sisters when we come anywhere near turning grace into a license to sin that is not who we are That is not what the grace of God is for. The grace of God has appeared to all men teaching us to say no to ungodliness. Do you believe that? You better. It's Titus chapter 2. That grace came to change us. It's not cheap grace. Costly grace and powerful grace that really does change us. And it begins with what Paul is bringing us back to here. Who is ascended? Who will ascend into heaven? Christ. He's already ascended. You don't need him to come down and give you more information. Who will rise up from the bottomless depth? Christ has already risen from the dead. He doesn't need to repeat that for you. He's already done it. The question is, what are you doing with that fact? Does the truth about the risen Christ radically change your life? Do you live differently because Christ is alive right now at the right hand of God? Do you serve a living Lord or a figment of history's past imagination? Someone who's long gone for all intents and purposes practically in your life. You see, brothers and sisters, Paul is wonderfully, God is wonderfully bringing us back to the righteousness based on faith. Verse 6, Romans 10. And that righteousness based on faith points us to trust that God so loved excuse makers like us that he gave us his only son. Isn't that good news? How wonderful that news is. And his son rose from the dead that excuse makers might become word lovers, might become very near word lovers. That's what he wants to do. Believer, give thanks this morning for how much God has revealed to you. That is how near, how very near his word is to you. 
Give thanks for that fact. Savor that grace that you've been shown in light of how Jesus kept the commandment for us. Let God's word do its work in you. That's not a throwaway phrase at the end of the sermon. Let God's word do its work in you. Some of you know the word of God, but you're not letting the word of God do its work in you. You're being stubborn, right? Or maybe you feel so hurt that you're just driven, you're really captured by fear to step out in faith in the way that he has called you to step out. But it's hard, God. Yeah, it is. It is hard. Is it too hard? Not by, not by the power of the Spirit of God in us. Not by faith in Jesus Christ who keeps the commandments for us. Not when we have such great and very precious promises. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Right? I want to live my life through you. Christ gives us life. I'm crucified. It's now Christ who lives in me power of the Holy Spirit indwelling, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and to me. How precious. Let God's word do its work in you. His very near word. Talk to him about your struggles this morning. Talk with him about your excuses. Talk to a brother or sister who can support you and give you godly counsel. Talk to an elder Talk to us. The word can be truly near to us because of this glorious fact. The word, capital W, was near to us. He came near to us. He was with us. He was one of us, among us. That should comfort our hearts and thrill our hearts to know that's the truth. Would you talk now with God just for a a, a minute here? Talk with him about the implications of this very near word. His implications for you as you're sensing them through his spirit right now.